By the time you hear this podcast, you'll realize how much power you have when you have your own dorm room. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with our 68th episode. Bam. <clears throat> and, um, well, everyone who's listened so far, we appreciate it. We should do something special for the 75th. Yeah. Like, that's the thing, right? Something silver involved with something it. Something that snaps. Something, <laughs> something up-tempo. Something snappy. By the time you hear this in Spanish, we'll... <laughs> We'll make that happen. <laughs> usted, hoy, um, I don't know. Usted means something right in Spanish. This, this is Sparta. Oh, that's just what no. usted means. This that's is what usted means. Ah, okay. Or, or you are, depending on context. Well, okay, we'll we'll have that down. We can be fluent in Spanish in a few weeks. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for. Um, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening so far. And if you want to tell people about it, we definitely will give you the information in which you can do that. So uh, first, we will refer you to our website. By the time you hear this dot com blogs dot website in which you could uh, listen to all of our episodes and also the links, uh, links to videos or articles for topics that we discuss. We also have Facebook dot com. By the time you hear this in which that is our Facebook page, of course, because I just said that, <laughs> but, um, uh, we are live on Facebook as of right now on this late Saturday night. 
thank you for people who will be scrolling past this. Uh, <laughs> Click. <laughs> but um, uh, you can follow us on Facebook there. Like our page on there. Yeah. Uh, we would appreciate that as well. You can follow us on, uh, well, before I get to that, the website and the Facebook page, um, they're spelled with the word you by the time you hear this.com and facebook.com slash by the time you hear this spelled with the word you while you if you want to get with us on Instagram we are at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter you because we're upstanding yes. yeah <laughs> yeah and that is the same spelling for our email address by the time you hear this at gmail.com in which you can send us your comments questions show ideas if you're an independent artist we will play your music for no extra charge mm -hmm. we are anti paola around here and if you want to listen to us on the go lots of options there if you have an iphone we are you can find us on the apple podcast app aka itunes if you have an android phone you can go to the google music app and search for the podcast there also the podomatic app um, Castbox, Satchel Podcast Player, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Auto Radio, and any other place where podcasts are given away for absolutely free. So you can definitely uh, use any of those options to listen to us on the go. All right, so um, let's get into the show here. So um, uh, ben pointed this out to me when he got here. Uh, <laughs> is that Spotify has, if you use Spotify like we do, uh, heavily, heavily, <laughs> then um, you know they released their list of the top 100 songs that you personally listened to uh, this past year. So Ben, uh, what kind of songs do you have on your list? Uh, so let's see. So number one, um, and I'm, a lot of these are, are saying are. We're earworms for the year. Uh, my number one song is Mr. Pushover by Hey Monday, um, which at one point was I downloaded an app on my phone called Spotify Alarm. And that was my alarm <laughs> for like a while. I would wake up to that song. Um, Helpless by Amorosa, not Amorosa, who just got outed from the White House, um, is my second song. And then and this is kind of funny. He's so shy by the Pointer Sisters is <laughs> number three. <laughs> I love the synth solo, so I, I've listened to that song a lot. Um, yeah, the Pointer Sisters. He shows he's so shy. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so most of my songs here were at one point on the infamous We Lit playlist, we lit. which I use when I drove for Uber. Um, in fact. Uh, all of these songs <laughs> seem to have been on that list at one point or another, pretty much. <laughs> so the number one song on my list is uh, An Earworm, uh, Money on Me by Snake mm. Hips featuring Anderson .Paak. Uh Number two uh, is actually one of Ben's earworms, <laughs> One Way Ticket by Midnight to Monica. <laughs> That's on my list too. That song is so... Mm. So smooth. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of these, uh, despite how old the song actually is, Am I Wrong by Anderson Pack is on here as well. Um, uh, Down on My Luck by Vic Mensa. The Let Out by Jadena. Hmm. Um, 
Not Above Love by Aluna George, uh, Gumball Machine Weekend by Yippa. Hmm. Um, these won't be a lot of popular songs. <laughs> these won't be songs on the Hot 100. Not a lot of them. Yeah, same here. I mean, oh, I mean, I'm sure at one point maybe he so shy was on the Hot 100, but it's been some time. <laughs> um, I've got uh, "Come Again" by Thornley, our song by Hudson Thames, "X's and O's" by Atreyu. One of my favorite songs was I thought might be higher. The sound by um, God, what's the name of that band? The 1975, the British band. Um, really, really, really good song. Um, secondhand News. <laughs> Flew mm. back, made it up there. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, Not So Fast by Royal um, Royal um, Tusk, which is one of my... Uh, a lot of old songs on here. Change by John Waite. <laughs> Got on here. Um so, right, and I almost feel bad saying this. The cover of Funky Town by Pseudo Echo from the 80s. <laughs> it had a really cool solo. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there's One Way Ticket by Midnight DeMonico. Such a good song. Such a good song. Um, like I said, all, all of my songs were on my on the uh, We Late playlist at one point. So, of course, there was um, Sunshine by Flight Facilities. Featuring Reggie Watts. Such a good. I think that made it on mine too. Actually, <laughs> that's a that's such a good song. I think I heard it. It was yeah, that was one of your um, earworms. Yeah, that's yeah. where I know that song from. Yeah, that's on there. Flight facility. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Friend Zone by Thundercat. Um, of course, P. J. Morton's cover of Black Beatles. So, that was really good too. Um, I don't know. I don't think that one made it on mine, but. I think I might have discovered it too late in the game, but yeah, that's a really smooth cover. And um was another Money Can't Buy You Love by Raphael Ralph Tresman. Yeah. Made it on there. That was on yours? That was on mine, yeah. <laughs> Cuz around the around the time that the uh the movie came out, I just started looking back into them and rediscovered that song. Yeah. Also Nuck If You Buck. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Nuck if you buck. Well, because Juju on that beat got popular. And I was like, this song is just... It's Nuck if you buck. Yeah, it's just Nuck if you buck. Sped up a little bit. like, And so then I just started listening to Nuck if you buck. I love that song. So, yeah, if you go to... Uh, if you use Spotify... <clears throat> excuse me. If you use Spotify, uh, go to the home page. You might have to scroll down a little bit, but look for 2017 Wrapped. Look for that icon. And then you'll see your top songs of the year. And there's also a list, the ones that got away. Yeah, I'm going to check that one out. And uh, they also have some other year-end lists, the most streamed tracks of the year, the top artists of the year, female and male, the groups, uh, the top tracks in the United States, the top Latin tracks, um, the best of they Spotify has their own specific lists like rap caviar. Those are the top hip hop songs, uh, rock this, the top rock songs and you know, so forth. Yeah. So, uh, check that out and, um, you see, see what you listen to over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you'll be able to look fondly back on this year. Um, so, uh, we're going. We're we're kind of chart heavy with our music news, so we're going to go into the uh, the Billboard, 
the well as far as this week goes. So the top, the number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 is "Perfect" by Ed Sheeran, the most influential artist in Black music, <laughs> featuring Beyonce. He's. I think he is trying to become. I think he's been listening to "By the Time You Hear This." And he heard us refer to him as the most influential artist in black music week after week after week. And I think he was like a kid that keeps getting blamed for doing something when he ain't done it. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do it. It's like, I'm going to become the most influential artist in black music. And he is now working with who is actually likely the most influential artist in black music, you know, in Beyonce and has a duet with her. That's number one. Yeah. A That's co- wild. A cover of his own song. That's wild. Basically just got her on there to sing it with him. And um, I haven't actually heard it. I wasn't familiar with the song. Have you? Have you listened to it? I've listened to it. Um, he's also he's also done a, a duet of the song with Andrea Bocelli. Okay. And I mean, I, I've listened to some of. It. I didn't listen to it all the way through. Abe was asking me about it, and I couldn't really offer too much of an opinion on it. He likes it. Um. So I, and I'll, I'll need to check it out to really listen. I, I mean, that's just. I mean, I, I feel like that's maybe becoming a thing to do now. Take a song and just make it a duet and release it as a single. I think uh, Troy Sivan did it with um, Alicia Cara. And uh, Nick Jonas did it with Tanachi, actually. Okay. Yeah, that was the first time I'd actually heard Tanachi. He did a um, Jealous remix with her. And she just sung the second verse with some different words. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got. We got uh, Rockstar. By Post Malone featuring 21 Savage. Number three is Havana by Camila Cabello featuring Young Thug. Number four, Gucci Gang by Lil Pump. Number five, Thunder by the retired 2K Legends, even though they'll probably be unretired next year. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Number six, Too Good at Goodbyes by Sam Smith. Number seven, No Limit by G Easy featuring ASAP Rocky and loving hip hop legend Cardi B. <laughs> Number eight, Bad at Love by Halsey. Number nine, Bodak Yellow, parenthesis, Money Moves by loving hip-hop legend Cardi B. <laughs> and number 10, What Lovers Do by the Adam Levines featuring SZA. <laughs> and just outside of the top 10, as Ben mentioned before we started recording, number 11 is All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Because it's that time of year. It's that time of year. <laughs> it is clearly the best-selling Christmas single Ever, I read that she pulls in half a million dollars a year, just, just around yeah around Christmas, just on that song. Like she ain't got to do nothing. <laughs> she didn't have to re-record it. She, they, she don't even have to perform it. They're still using those same masters from like what ninety four. <laughs> God, they're still they're gonna be playing that and see. And this is why, not to make this a Beyonce bashing session, but like. Beyonce can't say that. Like, there's not a song that she has recorded that every year gets played, gets goes played back into rotation. And there are a lot of songs like, like that. faithfully just goes back. <laughs> and the, it was with, with like with this one, even though they're like everyone has the their signature Christmas song. Mm-hmm. This actually goes up on the charts at the yeah. same time every year. Yeah, this is what she. This is why I cannot hold her in that regard because like that is that oh, is legend song though. But that's just legend status. Like, basically, you've made this generation's Jingle Bells. Like, this is for all well, yeah, intents and I, purposes. I think that's, that's the key part of it. Yeah. She wrote a Christmas song that is in the lexicon. Yeah. 
Like it's right up there with like Jingle Bells and Silent Night and All I Want for Christmas is You. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure if she mentioned Jesus, they'd sing it in churches. Like it's just, <laughs> it's that popular. Like, and it comes back every year and it will probably do that until she dies and we die. Like it's going it, to be it's forever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to go on forever. And this is, and at this point it's generational now, like it's hopped a generation. Yeah. Like it's appealing to people who are like young people know it now. You know, I think didn't Ariana Grande cover it too? I think probably at one. She, I mean, she's she wanted to be Mariah Carey like anyway. <laughs> so that's almost a given. But yeah, it's just funny. Like jumped from twenty one last week up to eleven, and I yeah, it was it was number twenty one last week, so it was in the top forty. Yeah, already. So it, I'm, it's it's yearly journey <laughs> to the top forty, and, and I'm I'm making a, my guarantee almost as I think it's the cold hard lock. It will be in the top 10 the, the week of Christmas. I feel like last year or the year before, it was like top five. I wouldn't be surprised. Would not be surprised. And it's just like she doesn't have to do anything. Even after she had just, that just awful performance. <laughs> at New Year's last year. That it, was just it, last year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> even though. So, yeah, this came out November 1st, 1994. And where did it chart? Uh, and it so that's number the, one, didn't it? I'm, yeah, I'm looking to see. And what's sad about it? Well, not sad, but what's crazy is, so yeah, on the Hot 100 or the Holiday 100, it hit number one. On the Hot 100, it peaked at number 11. I wonder if that's this year. So if that is this year, that's even crazier because it says chart 1994 through 2017. So 11 is its is the highest it's been on the Hot 100. And that's this year. And that's this year. So it keeps going up. <laughs> it keeps going up. It's like wine. It gets better with age. And it's one of those songs that people like they'll cover on their own Christmas album because no one, you know, who tries to write a Christmas song? Yeah. And they're not really in this. Like it's it's June or July. You're trying to write a Christmas song that doesn't happen. Um, it's all it's in a bunch of movies uh, famously in Love Actually. Okay, I I've never seen that, but I could see that being there. Uh there's uh there's like this emo cover of it. I don't know if you've heard it before. I haven't, but I'm seeing here Bowling for Soup covered it. I wonder if that's who you're thinking. No. <laughs> Cuz it, it, it was it was a YouTuber. <laughs> it was one of these the YouTube uh cover artists. Hanson. I got <laughs> to check out their cover. Samantha Mumba too. I bet it's awful. Um across generations and genres. Yeah. So Beyonce and Ariana Grande and other artists have something to to uh, to catch up to. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to the top 200 albums once it uh, comes up here. Let me refresh that. Or see if you can pull it up. Yeah, I got it here. Um, Songs of Experience by U2 is number one. I did not know. Debuting at number one. I didn't know they were in the studio doing new stuff. Yeah. Um, and people, it was not automatically downloaded to your yeah. iPhones. I saw a time. meme about that. It's like it said, I had never seen people get so mad about something that was free. <laughs> <laughs> like they didn't ask you for nothing. It's like, here's some music. Get that off my phone. Um, number two, From a Room, Volume 2, Chris Stapleton. Uh, was that a... Doesn't say debut. Oh yeah, I guess it was a debut. Yeah, debuted last week. Nothing. So yeah. Was it? Was Volume One nominated for Album of the Year last year, or was I, that? No, that was Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, Sturgill Simpson. Chris okay. Stapleton, um, someone who I do think is actually 
um, kind of one of those people like he, he's popular, but he is in the vein of like a credible country artist because he infuses he infuses blues in with his music, which is something that you don't see very much anymore in country music. Like country music, of course, is like it's pop. That that's all it is. But because he infuses unless you're Florida Georgia Line. Uh, that's just that's something else. I'm not gonna lie. There's songs I like by them, but like they got some cringe worthy songs. <laughs> like that when I listen to the song they did with Nelly, and I'm just like, come on. Like which one of you sold your souls for this song? <laughs> um Reputation is number three, was uh number one last week, so um I do have a prediction that this album will not do as well as the last album. I think I think the magic has worn off for her and I think with all of her pettiness as we refer to her as the fake music fake um news of pop music I think she's worn out her welcome and I think now she will enjoy a Beyoncé which is still good now she's still going to make money and sell records but I think you're going to see her record sales drop off a bit as now she is only going to be popular with her core fan base that's my prediction um I could be wrong but that's just what I see uh, number four, we got Divide by the most influential artist in black music, um, a.k.a. the redheaded master. I, I don't know. <laughs> He's so weird looking, too. It's, you you got to look him up. He did he did a performance with John Mayer. And, um, of course, like most of his band is black. Like, it's funny. <laughs> um, oh, here, here's another band. I think that's going to be making their um, their mark on Christmas every year. Uh, Pentatonix Christmas at number five by Pentatonix. Last week, number two, so it dropped a little bit. Uh, number six, Tell Me You Love Me, Demi Lovato. Uh, number seven, The Thrill of It All, Sam Smith. Um, number eight, Christmas by your aunt's favorite singer. <laughs> that That's a new one. So that's Michael Buble. Michael for Buble. Are, that's a new one for us. It's still a little new. Warren <laughs> Leisure by Miguel at number nine. And I saw this in the store and I thought about buying this. Um, the Anthology Part 1, The First Five Years by Garth Brooks. Um Maybe country music's first superstar, I would maybe say. Well, the. Well, I wouldn't say like the first superstar, but I guess there's another way to put it to where he was like the first one to like, he's selling out arenas. Yeah. Arenas. To like. Which was unheard country of. Artists would country like artists. sell out, you know, the, the smaller venues, the concert venues. But when he's doing a stadium tour. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like not just and actually he, he, he can still sell out arenas. He was yeah. at the Mercedes Benz Dome recently. Yeah. So he can still do it. <laughs> he can still do it. <laughs> so that's yeah, I, I always thought his career was interesting and I'm very I feel unfortunate. I feel it unfortunate that I did not look into his career earlier because I didn't know much about him. I didn't know he was this popular. I, I just I knew Thunder Rolls and then I knew Friends in Low Places. I knew Chris Gaines as well. <laughs> I knew that. And like whenever I would hear I got friends in low places, I just be like, oh, that's just a song that, you know, country art, country fans know. And then I was in a mixed crowd once and everyone was singing it. And I was like, oh, that's why he's rich. Okay, okay, he needs to do he he should do a special with Trisha Yearwood because they're still married, I think, are they? I have no idea. I don't know. I know Faith Hill. And um, Tim McGraw did one for Showtime hmm. in which they called themselves. I, I feel like he gave himself this nickname, the king and queen of country. And I'm just like, is that a title or is that just like, you know, 
that. You just made that up. Yeah, like which which doesn't count. It then doesn't count. No, it does not count. You cannot give yourself a nickname. No. Yeah, Kobe Bryant. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) um, the artist one hundred. Of course, since they released an album, they are number one. The rules of Billboard. (laughs) (laughs) U two is number one. Number two, the most influential artist in black music because his he has a single that is number one. Mm-hmm. Number three, Chris Stapleton. Number four, the fake news of pop music. Number five, we need a nickname for Pentatonics. I would I want to say the Acapella Army, but there's only a few of them. <laughs> we'll think of something. If you've got ideas too, please share them. Number six, uh Post Malone. Number seven. Imagine Dragons, the retired 2K legends. Number eight, Demi Lovato. Number nine, Sam Smith. And number 10, Beyonce. Probably because of the album. The, not the album, but the... Uh, the song with uh, with Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring this up. This may be a future episode. We, we'll have to do some more research. Uh, a friend of mine posted a video about uh, the disturbing truth about k-pop artists very disturbing it's yeah i wonder if we can find that and share it on the website find the video yeah yeah like on youtube or what we can could we embed it from facebook um we'll find a way we can find yeah a way. well yeah i well they have a youtube page so okay yeah, we can embed yeah. it from there but uh i showed it to ben before we started recording and he said uh it started it started out bad. And, and then it got, got worse. <laughs> it just got worse. Just when you think that the snowball can't get any bigger. Yeah. It finds another open field of snow and just. Uh, yeah. I was thinking of that because uh, BTS is number 12 yeah. on the Artist 100. They're making some waves over here, it seems. Yeah. They're they're crossing over. Yeah. Um, Much to their. I'm sure. Are they are ready. they profiting off of it? Are there are there any benefits for the the singers themselves? Or is it just the record companies or the the talent or their manager, which is it's a totally different system there than here to where the manager may get, you know, a percentage. Mm -hmm. But over there, the the manager will get everything. I'm really hoping that maybe they signed some sort of distribution deal for America and they're getting something. Like maybe they found a like a U.S. based record company. There's a distribution deal for America, but are they getting something? But that's I what I'm know. hoping. Like maybe they're like, um, "Don't worry, we're not going to make you sign one of those contracts over here." <laughs> like they knew and then, what was going on. Like they signed like what they signed there was like worse than a 360 deal. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> worse than a 360. What's, What's worse than a 360? <laughs> Was three sixty times? Was it like a nine eighty deal or something like a ten? It would be a ten eighty deal. A ten eighty deal. Like not only do we get everything that we get, we get everything that you get, <laughs> and everything that you will get for the next ten years. No, it was a seven to fifteen yeah. years. Seven to fifteen years, and the clock doesn't start until you release the first album, yeah. which could be ten years after you signed the initial contract. So you're just up there dancing and singing and hoping that twenty hours a day, hoping just, that you can just share a meal with your friends, <laughs> <laughs> but not because you know, like, hey, we're friends and we're sharing a meal. No, you're sharing it because, hey, this is all we can afford. <laughs> this is all we got, man. Like, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> It says here though that they're doing a remix of uh, Champion by Fallout Boy with Fallout Boy. So, 
I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Fall Out Boy will, you know. Well, that would be messed up. What if, like, you know, Fall Out Boy is like, hey, why don't you come over to our place and, you know, we can have dinner. And the manager's like, um, they, they can't do that. They have to share their meals. Because <laughs> there's one, two, three, four, I'm, I'm five, sorry. six, seven I'm, of them. I'm, I'm sorry. They're not allowed to eat. Yeah. Put down to play the chicken fingers. I'm sorry. They've already eaten enough for this week. But it's only Tuesday. I, I do understand. But, you know, we have a contract. <laughs> Seven of them. They they can order the five-piece chicken fingers. <laughs> they got to cut one in half. <laughs> they can't afford the fries. <laughs> They're like, how much is it if we leave the fries off? <laughs> they come with the meal. Yeah, but what if, like, we gave them back? <laughs> Could you take off like a dollar for the fries? I'm gonna stop. That's not funny. That's not funny because someone's really doing this. But yeah, and they said, yeah, we can take off the fries and we can give you a dollar. Awesome. Cool. So then it's only $6, meaning, you know, that's a deal, you know? You just chop up one of the chicken fingers and like, you know, the person who missed a dance step in practice eats that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So once we, when we talk about this more in depth, it'll all make sense. Yes. And you'll, you'll probably still be as disturbed, but you know, I'm looking at them too. They look like really nice guys, you know? Um, and I'm looking too. there's two in the back. They get the split chicken finger. I can tell. <laughs> uh, okay. And sometimes the dude in the front probably gets like a chicken finger and a half. Cause he's like, I'm the face. Yeah. <laughs> He gets the big piece of chicken finger. <laughs> Hashtag Chris Rock. <laughs> Where's my bit chicken finger? <laughs> All right. So um, speaking of uh, potential uh, abuse. <laughs> um, so we talked about a couple of episodes ago, a couple of episodes ago about uh, Nellie being charged with sexual assault. And. Uh, the charges were dropped. Prosecutors will no longer be uh, pursuing the case, but Nelly is going is vowing to sue the woman who he says falsely accused him. Uh, prosecutors in Washington State dropped the case, saying the accuser wasn't cooperating and therefore they couldn't proceed. And Nelly's attorney isn't surprised and tells us Nelly has suffered very real damage to his reputation. He has incurred economic loss and painfully has watched his family suffer. As a result, Nelly is planning to proceed with litigation as the first step in restoring his reputation. And uh, his lawyer also said uh, that Nelly recognizes real victims of sexual assault need to be heard and adds that's why they're going after his accuser. This type of reckless false allegation cannot be tolerated as it is an affront to the real survivors of sexual assault. And the accused's attorney has said that the client only refused to testify because of the public pressure she faced after accusing a huge celeb was too much. I, I don't even know who she is. I mm -hmm. don't know. I don't. I mean, typically they won't put the names of the um, of the victims in the newspaper. There was, I like guess that. there was enough public pressure because, you know, people out there, if it's not in any. Uh, articles that you read, someone is out there researching, like, oh, who was it? And, yeah, you know. and finding, trying to find a way to smear them. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, I don't know. Like, it's these are these are always tough topics because, of course, you don't want anyone. You know, if, if Nelly didn't do it, you don't want them to get in. You know, in trouble or smeared for 
um, for something he didn't do because typically when these things happen and, and sexual assault happens, um, you are automatically branded a, ra- a rapist, basically. Right. You're automatically, even if your name gets cleared, you know, most people never get that retraction. Like the retractions, like I remember we used to talk about in journalism um, when I was still at West Georgia, like, you know, the story, breaking story is on the front page. The retraction is like page seven. <laughs> like it's like, it's <laughs> like much, yeah. you know, they're, they're, that's the retraction. So, you know, for someone like Nelly, he's like trying to make the the correction front page. And some could argue actions like this are why victims don't want to come forward. Because if they're, you know, when the defense comes at you, if there's one little thing in that armor that they can get through, they're going to use it to make you try to look bad and try to discredit you. And so it's just, it's a very, it's just a sensitive thing. I don't know who's in the right here. Um, I don't, I think, I don't think he should go after her. I think he should just go out and, Maybe, you know, just be like, hey, I'm, I didn't do it. Yada, yada. Don't don't sue her, though. Like that's because I know he says he wants to make it easier for people to come forward. I think that's the that's this the wrong not thing be to the do. Right way. Yeah, that's you know? just not the best way. That's kind of like saying I want to make, you know, I want to make, um, you know, dry cotton fields less flammable by dousing what, them in gasoline. You know what <laughs> didn't help him? What is like we talked about that. Uh, a few weeks ago, or maybe it might have been a couple of months ago, but the flurry of sexual harassment and sexual assault mm-hmm. accusations, um, a, a, a alleged sexual assault. Yeah, because no one's been prosecuted yet. You know. Uh, you know, but it's it's happening in all um, in all types of fields. Yeah, you know, especially in the in the entertainment industry um, uh, with. Of course, Harvey Weinstein is kind of the big one, yeah. uh, but there's also Russell Simmons and there's Al Franken mm-hmm. and, of course, our current president. And not according to him, <laughs> not according to him, but, you know, yeah. you know, uh, all nine or 16, whatever number it is, the, they're all lying. It's all fake news. It's all fake news, yeah. which just means something you don't like. Um <laughs> And uh, there were I didn't see the video reaction or or him proclaiming his innocence, but Tavis Smiley. Lord but Jesus. I, I, I just felt like there was like, OK, there's so many white men being accused. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some black people out there. So, all right. Russell Simmons. Uh, who's next? Tavis Smiley. Diamond uh, McNabb. Michael Irvin. <laughs> McNabb. Uh, Michael Irvin. Marshall Falk. Yep. <laughs> so it, it's gone over to the NFL network. And it is some people are like. <laughs> man like like it's happened at espn had to oh it's yeah. had to have happened there yeah. so they they are next and i was like man i wonder if like if when they when they came when like there were accusations against tavis smiley i was like tom joiner is sweating right now <laughs> and ricky smiley and uh, someone, someone, uh, I commented on Facebook, and someone else said, "Yeah, Frank Ski, Frank Ski, <laughs> Jack and Jill hating Frank Ski, uh, Steve Harvey, probably." Oh Lord, I wouldn't be surprised. And since you mentioned ESPN, he's not there anymore. But he, I know that. Um, I want to think it was Michelle Beadle that said he was a pain to work with. I could, I could hear Colin Cowherd, someone coming out and saying Colin Cowherd, which is so, which would, is so weird because. I feel like there's like no one works with him. Like he does his well when he was on ESPN, he did his show by himself. Yeah, now he's got Christine Leahy, 
who I'm convinced doesn't like him. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I'm glad to say that I haven't less, not listened to an episode of the Colin Cowherd show in about a month now, month and a half. Is uh, to quote Bomani Jones, I got off that narcotic. Ben, mm-hmm. it gets easier. Yeah, it does. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I still follow him on Instagram, so I'll see the pictures and stuff. But like, he, I don't know if he was doing it for ratings, but like, he just became like the walking hot take. <laughs> like, he would just say things that, like, because he is, I'm not going to lie, like, when he's right, he's really right. But he was just saying things, I'm like, that's just so uns- unsubstantiated. Like, you didn't research this opinion at all. You just got on here and you said it. Like, that was it. You just said it. But you know you know who I think would get sexual harassment uh, allegations before Colin Cowherd? Who? Just because I, I just want to see it. And just so I can, when it happens, I'll have a, just a lot of jokes. Jason Whitlock. <laughs> the Uncle Tom of, of sports radio. You, you know he's harassed somebody. Well, no, he has it. It the, he um he had an assistant years ago. Um, claim. No, I mean he did it like yesterday. Oh, <laughs> and was so and he made some reference to food, probably McDonald's or something, because that's all. All it's I haven't listened to anything Jason Whitlock has said, but I just feel like all his the last time I listened to anything he said. Like everything he was, every comparison he was making, it was, food was involved. Yeah, it was either McDonald's. He's like, you know, it's like going to McDonald's or you go to KFC. Like, what, why are we talking about food? I cannot remember the last like time this. I listened to Jason Whitlock. It's been, it's, it's been months since I listened to him. Unless, but then again, I never went out of my way to listen to him. If he wasn't on with like Colin Cowherd or hosting his show, I, I didn't really listen to him. And then the Sean King thing happened, and then he just kind of became a joke to me. Yeah, <laughs> when Sean King basically just called him an Uncle Tom, and I went back and thought I was like, "Huh, he's right." <laughs> and he kind of continued after that with the um, probably will never see the light of day Colin Kaepernick sketch that was on. He did a Colin Kaepernick sketch. Yeah, he has like, like some sketch on Colin Cowherd's show, mm-hmm. and there was going to be a sketch about Colin Kaepernick. And a kid from Kid and Play was going to be Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I Chris Chris Reed, right? That's his name, Christopher yeah. Reed. I'd pay to see that <laughs> just because he's in it. Because they're friends. I forgot. They're fr- I would hear them like inter- he would interview him sometimes. It's funny. That's funny. The only thing I remember from the Cowherd show, not to go too far off topic, is a um, a parody of Candle in the Wind. They did about Colin Kaepernick after he, I don't know if he got benched or whatever, called um, a candle in the stick or something like that. It was really, it was like a really cheesy parody of that song about Colin Kaepernick. It was very funny. Well, there was a, there was a video I saw about when Eli Manning got benched and it was a parody (laughs) of Stan, like Eminem Stan. Oh, I think I want to hear this or it might've been a different song, but I know it was in reference to Eli Manning getting benched. That sucked for him. And now, and he's starting tomorrow? Yeah. 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 Didn't last long. <laughs> Didn't last well, long. Well, when they fired the coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. What else we got here? Uh, so, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted their class of 2018, uh, which includes Bon Jovi, the Moody Blues, and the Cars. Um, really love that the also, Cars Dire Straits, Nina Simone, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. 
were chosen from 19, nom, uh, 19 nominees. Um, we talked about the, the other nominees before, but they didn't get in. So yeah. still, still who is not in, uh, yeah, uh, Kate up. Bush, Depeche Mode, The Arrhythmics, Jay Giles Band, Judas Priest, LL Cool J, MC5, The Meters, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, Link Ray, and The Zombies. The Zombies feels weird. The Arrhythmics, how how many times have they been nominated? They need to be in there. We need yeah. to get the, the Arrhythmics in there. Um, especially when they they made that return was back in the early 2000s, late 90s, where they were doing that those strings of acoustic shows. Those were so good. Like, they're really, really good. Um, anyone who's who's young, I don't know if you, I, I don't know why I feel like young people listen to us, but, like, go check out the Eurythmics. Like, they're really good. And they're pretty diverse. Like, would I lie to you? Doesn't sound like anything they did <laughs> prior to it. Like, it, it sounds really good. And it was, uh, I think that was probably heavily influenced by Annie Lennox's, um, I think I think she has a love for soul. Like I don't I haven't looked into her very much, but like listening to her stuff that she did as a solo artist, and of course she is British, and this just kind of goes to show she has a love for soul because that's all she pretty much did. Like she had one adult contemporary record, and everything else was very soul influenced. All right, we have a got a question from uh, our Facebook Live audience. What are the requirements to be nominated? Um, basically. If you have a good uh, discography, you're eligible 25 years after your first release. Um, not and not really anyone gets nominated right at the 25 year mark. Very yeah. Has anyone even gotten in right at the 25 year mark? I'm I'm not sure. Uh, maybe at best, maybe like a Run DMC. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they were they got in like a couple of years ago. Um, and their first release would have been 1983, yeah. but I think they got in after 2008. Um, well, I think because when it, I think the Rock and Roll of Fame started in 1989, uh, I think someone like the Beatles might have been in like 26 years, mm -hmm. or um, or the Rolling Stones, you probably had to look more at like the like the first couple of classes that were eligible right then. Uh, I also think the Temptations, if they were that nineteen eighty nine class, to where they they were right at the twenty five year mark or really close to it. But that's normally the uh, the requirements to get in. I'm look. I was looking to see if there was any. But of like, course, as you see, it's like some people wait a whole lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to see if there was a list of like who was the quickest, but I can't. I mean, there's just nothing. I've tried a couple of different search items. No. I might try to look into that because that, that is, I think that's a pretty good, that'd be an interesting question right there. Like who was, <laughs> like who got in there the like. Quickest to the Hall of Fame. They're like, man, we can't, they're just like sitting there like, we can't wait, man. You be a first ballot. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um. Nominees are determined by um, a group of about a thousand industry insiders uh, that will cast their ballot for who should be included. And then um, and then they vote based on the nominees from there. And fans also um, have a vote. Uh, bon Jovi won the fan vote this year. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um 
and uh, yeah, then they, I guess they vote from there. So um, as always, like we talked about with, I think it was with Yes last year. Oh yeah, well, everyone uh, who, who, show up. who's the band to where <laughs> there's going to be the question of is everyone going to show up? So this year, that band appears to already be Bon Jovi. Yeah, because they're missing <laughs> their bass player doesn't play with them anymore. If I remember correctly, from the uh, behind the music, they fired uh, and him. And Richie Sambora is not there. Oh boy! And he he's part of the lineup uh, that's the that got inducted. Yeah, yeah, that's the classic lineup. <laughs> So, like, there's an interview I saw, I see here to where they ask him about it. And he says, uh, uh, Steve Van Zant called him at two in the morning to tell him. Steve Van Zant from the E Street Band? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He says, he's like, you're in. I was like, oh. And then, uh, and then, okay, then uh, Rolling Stone, this from Rolling Stone, they called him the next day to hear his thoughts on it. So they asked him, how did you hear you were in? Uh, Steve Van Zandt called him. <laughs> so weird. Okay. I mean, I guess they're all from New Jersey. So, yeah. Sorry. What was your reaction when you heard it was definite? Just gratitude, I guess, and going, hey, I'm in the queue with Bob Dylan, Bick and Keith and Clapton, all my heroes and all the guys I grew up trying to emulate. Those are my heroes and my teachers. To be in that line is kind of surreal. And then they ask him, why do you think it took so long? All right. Wow. That's very uh, presumptuous. <laughs> <laughs> they say, I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. Honestly, I wasn't obsessed with it or anything like that. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I said, hopefully I'll be alive. A lot of people don't get in until they pass. The Songwriters Hall of Fame means a lot to me. I believe it's the foundation of our business, writing songs that connect with humanity and people all over. We happened to do that well. I ended up inducting mm -hmm. Willie Dixon into the Songwriters Hall of Fame a few years back, and he'd been dead for 40 years. Mm. He wrote all those amazing songs, and I hope to be around to experience and enjoy the accolades or whatever you want to call them. Um, and uh, I think a lot of, uh, they also said, I think a lot of old school rock critics didn't like the band, and that kept you guys out. What do you think about something like that? Maybe. I mean, the 80s. <sighs> The 80s are enemy, I think, for people to really understand. If you think about the 2000s for rap music, crunk music, snap music, um, early, you know, the early trap music, you know, a lot of it was very, um, especially the crunk music and the snap music was all about excess. You know, that's all it was really about, you know. Um, the 80s was the same thing. Rock music was all about excess. Slippery when wet. Some people probably don't see much artistic value to an album titled Slippery When Wet. Um, but though, I mean, there were some good songs that they released, um, but maybe they just had the misfortune of being lumped together. With all the hair metal yeah, bands. Yeah, with all of this, like, clearly less talented hair metal bands. You know, like Bon Jovi is not on the same level as Poison. It's not they on the same level of with. Cinderella. <laughs> and... Winger, yeah, like they're not on the same level, you extreme, know. Extreme, even though, yeah, well, no, Extreme was a hair metal band. Yeah. They're known for that one song. Yeah, but no, they're a hair metal band. And so, like, when it and if you think about, it, like, Bon Jovi was one of the few bands that came out of the '80s and actually had a hit. What twenty years later, nearly, you know, about what two thousand two ish, with "It's My Life." So I think they were one of the few bands that were able to distinguish themselves as like, hey, we're not just a hair metal band. 
Um, even though when they were hair they metal didn't band, write that song though. Yeah, that was Max Martin. <laughs> but like, even when they were hair metal bands, they were still the best at it. Like, they were still the yeah. biggest. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. Like, rock critics can be, rock critics can be uptight, man. Like, rock critics are very. Uh, like, as a matter of fact, I still remember reading things like right. The thing like with rock critics to me, it's like it's star- like all rock music started in the 70s yeah even though it started earlier but they don't talk about that and it's only like the the metal bands that came up like uh black sabbath or iron maiden that's the metal they talk about that that (laughs) that's where rock critics that's like that's where it starts yeah that's where it starts for them everybody else is underneath like you don't hear about um bill haley and his comments you don't hear about that. You don't hear about you don't hear about Chuck Berry. No, sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't hear about Rosetta Tharp, who nope, just got into the Rock and Roll no. Hall of Fame. No. no one knows who that is. The only other stuff you hear Barely about anyone. is uh, you'll hear about the psychedelic movement. So you'll hear about Pink Floyd. You'll hear about uh, the Doors. You'll hear about um, I'm, the uh, Velvet Hendrix. Underground, Hendrix. But like Janis Joplin, it's you know once you get to the eighties, it's like they like to gloss over that until you get to the nineties and rock music gets important again. The only the, <laughs> and probably the only eighties band that they would that rock critics may respect, Metallica, maybe they would respect them. They I think there's respect for Metallica. I think they lost respect in the nineties actually when they released um you know Load and Reload, um. And then did the Mission Impossible soundtrack. Um, I think that's when they started losing respect. But like with critics, well, both not only critics, but they're also their yeah, fans. they're fans. Um, they're, they're fa- they, they started losing respect from their fans when they made the Black Album, just yeah. because it sounded a little extra produced. Like Bob, who that can't be his last name, Rock. And he produces rock music. Like Is that's that his just last name? yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If that's really his last name. Um, but I think they did gloss over the 80s. And as a result, a lot of the more talented bands have, you know, unless you were like a Bruce Springsteen who was who really does more than just rock. You kind of got, you know, you, you got looked over. Is, is uh, Guns N' Roses in? I think so. And I think it's because they kind of came at the tail end of the. Uh, uh, let me see. Guns N' Roses Hall of Fame. They came towards the end of the decade. And. uh yeah, Axl Rose. Yeah, I feel like they, feel like they would have killed hair metal Mm-mm-mm. once they came about, but because they still looked like a hair metal band, yeah, they just they kind of got lumped in. Yeah, they're a little but, more aggressive but, than hair metal bands. <laughs> but you, I'm just saying they still looked like them. Yeah, but because they sounded different, a yeah. little different, um, then hair metal didn't die until you know Nirvana. Yeah. So yeah, but Appetite for Destruction. That was yeah. They I know they had the big hair and the leather pants and all that, but yeah, that was not a hair metal album. And that that's an album we should talk about to Appetite for Destruction. Speaking of that, um, so you find out some things in music, and like like really, pe- like people are just finding these things out. Like a couple of weeks ago, there was a thing with like T Pain explaining mm-hmm. his lyrics. Yeah, no one believed me. No one believed me when I was I I was I forget where I was. And they were like, "Nah, that's not the lyric." I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's what he said." And if I put on a pair of headphones, and I listened, and I heard it. <laughs> like I didn't like it, but I heard it. <laughs> and people were like upset, like like their lives were all a lie or something. Yeah. Um, 
also people more people are finding out Bobby Caldwell is white. <laughs> hey, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little taken aback when I found out too. <laughs> he can still sing, but you're just like, wow. I mean, like, but you know, if Michael McDonald can exist, Bobby Caldwell can exist. But I bring this up because there are people still finding out that Slash is black. Word? Yeah. Huh. I knew a guy in high school who said he wasn't, and I was like, no, he's he wouldn't pass the paper bag test, bruh. <laughs> just not to be that person but he ain't passing the paper bag test yes I, i'm sorry if we if we've ruined some lives here in this recording slash is black <laughs> yeah yeah he is and that's okay you know lots of good guitar players have been black. <laughs> one of the most influential you may have heard of him you know james hendrix yeah yeah do you have yeah. to tell people he's black <laughs> uh one of the one of the uh forefathers of rock and roll mm -hmm. uh, Chuck Berry also black <laughs> but he had that hair <laughs> he's also a pervert rest in peace man but he was a pervert <laughs> also uh, another gentleman who claims to be the originator of rock and roll uh, Lil Richard <laughs> also an African American man yeah from Macon from Macon, Georgia. Macon. <laughs> from Macon so many artists from Georgia so many artists Every I feel like I find out every week someone's from Georgia. <laughs> that reminds me of um, like how in um, in some small town, if there's a like a a, a celebrity who's like worldwide known, mm -hmm. and they're from a small town, yeah, everyone in that town will claim to be related to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I just want to say that like uh, with Otis Redding, yeah, everybody, everybody yeah. is Otis Redding's cousin. <laughs> I feel that in the next 20 years, because we're getting a lot of country artists now, I'm finding out from Georgia, everyone in Leesburg will be related to Luke Bryan. Mm. Everyone in Douglas will be related to Jennifer Nettles from Sugarland, And then I just found out Rhett Thomas is from Valdosta. So that will likely happen as well. I don't know where Florida Georgia line is. Would people claim them? I don't know. Like, were they? <laughs> I don't know. Or were they just, I partied with them. Like, I feel like that'd be more. I feel like it'll be like they're gonna be. A, I feel like they're gonna be a lot of black people who will claim they're cool with Kane Brown. Yeah, he looks so <laughs> weird. But yes, I could. I could totally see he looks that. Like Tyrone Matthew, a little bit. Yes, he does. He. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's. But that's that's gonna happen. I think because <laughs> there are so many. Like I'll just like it's just crazy. Like I didn't realize, but I mean it makes sense. A lot of these country artists do come from small towns. Georgia's full of them. Mm -hmm. So um, I could see that happening because I'm trying to think, are there any rappers from like little small towns? Because well, I Migos know. is from Lawrenceville. That's I don't know. I feel like that's too much of a suburb, though. Like that's. Oh, OK. So you mean like south of Atlanta? Yeah. Like it's got to be or, outside or, of or west. west yeah. Of like it's got to be like, you know, like, oh, yeah. I'm from Covington. <laughs> like Everyone knows. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm related to everyone related to me or like. Or like, you know, um, like Brunswick, Georgia, <laughs> Sylvester, Camilla, Camilla, <laughs> Camilla <Georgia. laughs> just someone who's from like one of those small towns. And I feel like you're either going to be a rapper or a country singer. And like, honestly, down here, we're not that different. Like we all no. eat the same foods. We all, we all like grits. Yeah. Like when I, when I meet someone at my job who doesn't like grits, I'm like, well, you're not from here. <laughs> doesn't matter what you are. You're not from here. We all like grits. Red, yellow, black, and white. We all like grits. 
I mean, there's that weird argument. So you know what? I, this is how you know someone's faking as far as being from the South. They may say they like grits, but it's about putting sugar in grits. Yeah. <laughs> they can't be trusted. That that argument like, well, I prefer cream of wheat. Well, I prefer grits and you can leave. <laughs> cream of wheat. You, know, you went to them Yankees. Ain't yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never had collards. See, people don't call them collards. That's how I know you're not from down here. They're greens. Ain't you ever had some greens? I like are collard greens. If you just say collards. I don't believe no, you're no from one, here. No one says collards. I don't believe you're from here. Like, if I don't hear greens after it, you're not from the South. It, it. You're not from the South. <laughs> the people that I hear say collards are you can't from, be trusted. Yeah, they're from the North. I don't mean to sound like, like <laughs> from the North or they're from out West. And they're like, oh, I went to Mary Max Tea Room and had some collards. Oh, did you? <laughs> you sound like a tourist. <laughs> Some collards. And as a matter of fact, um, when I still worked in Endeavor, there was a guy there who was like the epitome of California cool. I'm fairly certain he was from San Diego. He loved the Chargers. Um, and some of the ways that you could tell he was still in tourist mindset um, when he would talk about Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, who of course is from Hoover, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, he was like, "Yeah, man!" Like he would talk about like how he would act in press conferences because I guess he just wasn't used to it <laughs> to like someone like a Philip Rivers, and like Philip Rivers is like red faced, like he used to like practice in like hot hot sun, like that hot Alabama sun. Um, and then he also, he was one of the people who would talk about going to Mary Max Tea Room, eating college, and how he loved fried chicken. Like he had never had it before. And I'm like, eh. it was just, it was yeah. funny. It was funny to hear. That was my first encounter with somebody who treated the South like it was a tourist spot. And and another uh, another way that, if they say, co- if they're black and they say college, <laughs> they... They might be, they might be, uh, they might be a terrorist, terrorist, <laughs> or, or a communist, or they're from. They're probably they probably moved to Chicago and they got family down here, <laughs> and they just come down every summer and eat collards. No, no, like in Chicago, black people say collard greens. Oh, they do. In L.A., they say collard greens. Where's Schoolboy Q from? He's from Chicago. Okay, okay. Because he had. Wait, that. did he say collards? No. Okay. This song is called Greens. <laughs> called Greens. Yes. They they are they are faking and uh you need <laughs> See we all cool down here. There's some the- counterintelligence that needs to be done immediately if a black person refers to them as collards. I feel like when when it comes down to it, um people in the South get like the NFL did when Do- when Donald Trump made fun of them. Like differences go away. Like we, <laughs> like if you if you're an outsider, you make fun of the South. Like differences go away. No one sees. Like it's truly the one time no one sees color. This like, what's wrong with Georgia? Like why are you making fun of Georgia? Why are you down here feeling like Georgia? Why are you always talking about things are better up north? Why are you this and that? Why are you like that's that's when we all like you know that's when we all need. <laughs> when you come from outside of the South, and you make fun of the South. We ain't here to hear that noise. No. Then, you know, once we put you in your place, we go back to hating each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, you know, hey, lived here all my life. <laughs> all yes. right. So, uh, yeah, we, we digressed a little bit more there, but that was fun. Yes. So let's get to your earworm of the week. 
Hold on a second. Let me look this up where he was from. Not because now that you mentioned Kane Brown, I need to know what city I, he's from. He, what's, I thought he was from Carrollton. Is he from no. Carrollton? It doesn't tell me. It says origin is Chattanooga, but that just could be where he moved. Oh, he, he might be from Tennessee. I don't know. Life, he moved to Rossville to Fort Oglethorpe, Lafayette. So he's he's been all over Georgia, basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my earworm is um, a song that I rediscovered actually from my um, from my top 100 of 2017. It's been a good year. It's been a pretty good year. Born Losers by Matthew Good. Um, this was on my uh, Discover playlist. Really, really good song. I think it's from the 90s. What year did this come out? see here Matthew Good of course being one of those um so old fighters maybe it was from an older album but it was re-released in 2013 I believe but um I believe I think he's Canadian isn't he Matthew Good I've never heard of this guy oh you never heard of him yeah he's Canadian um one of those like mid 90s uh you know kind of like similar to like a better than Ezra or you know around that time yeah it's a pretty okay. good song. It's got a nice little, a nice little two-step to it as well. I like it. He's got a lot of music here. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he's been he's been around for a minute. All right, so this is "Born Losers" by Matthew Good, and we'll be right back. But your daughter In the life you would not give a break Your plans Traipsed across the continent A squatter For your lies at night To sleep between my That is Born Losers by Matthew Good. And from his album Old Fighters. Is that a compilation album? I think so. I'm saying I'm showing here is from his third album, Hospital Music. Okay. Um 
third solo out. Okay, because he was in the Matthew Good band. Now I remember. So this came out uh, 2007. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that has been added to our BTT YHT Earworms playlist. As we mentioned in our last episode, it does include, once again, Hot Rod Hearts. Which, if it were on Spotify, would have been in my top 100, but... (sighs) (laughs) But it's okay. I'm just happy to have it back. All right. So, uh, we started the show with uh, Fight for Your Right by the Beastie Boys. Um, A song that was really the first of its kind. From License to Ill. From the seminal License to Ill. And why we played that song is that it was produced. And I'm getting a phone call. (laughs) Please hold. Sorry about that. <laughs> Got a phone call. Um, let me send a message here. That's that Apple ecosystem. <laughs> All right. So uh, it was produced by the one and only Rick Rubin. Well, yeah, it is the one and only and, <laughs> the one and only Rick Rubin. And it's funny that you say the one and only Rick Rubin, because as we were discussing prior, likely the most diverse musical producer in the history of Ever. popular music. Um, I mean, he is. I mean, some people and it's so to me, what's interesting is, of course, he starts out, you know, mostly doing hip hop, you know, like he's a hip hop pioneer, you know. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. I thought, well, most of, I know his early work is hip hop. Well, as a producer, yes. Mm -hmm. As a musician, uh, he was in a punk band. I could totally hear that. Called uh, The Pricks. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, So he started off in in a punk band. And uh, I watched a, uh, there's a Netflix series called Hip Hop Evolution. There are Mm -hmm. only four episodes. It, It might have gotten like canceled. Um, but it looked like they were going through hip hop, like it's history of it yeah. a little bit at a time, kind of giving you an overview of the whole thing. And there was one episode to where they brought up, um, basically, well, it started like with, um, Russell Simmons, um, managing, uh, Curtis Blow. Yeah. And how Curtis Blow is basically for rap's first solo MC superstar and how the Christmas rap, you heard that song? Yeah. Christmas rap was a hit song and, uh, Russell Simmons was his manager. And, uh, it was like, yeah, it was a hit song. They like, they're still playing it in February, in <laughs> January, <laughs> February, still playing Christmas rap, you know? And, um, he wanted to, uh, uh, and basically like the kind of the history of that it, basically they had to tell the the set it up with Russell Simmons to bring in Rick Rubin yeah. as far as like him in in the story so they um uh they have the Rev Run mm-hmm. DJ Run at the time meeting DMC 
and they're like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, trying to make a record. My brother is Russell Simmons. He's going to, you know, if he believes in me, you know, we can, we can make a record and you'll be in my group. And they made uh, the song Suck It MCs, which was famous for just being a drum machine, being <laughs> like no other instruments. Yeah. <laughs> because they have to say, okay, yeah, this sounds great. So we're going to put in the guitars and the bass tomorrow. Like, no, no, no the this this song's done. It. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> we're not putting anything else. But it doesn't have, it's done. So, um, and then, uh, kind of on the other side of town in a way, um, Rick Rubin, uh, met this DJ named DJ Jazzy J, not Jazzy Jeff. That's Philadelphia. Yeah. This is still in New York. So he meets DJ Jazzy J and, uh, he would come, DJ Jazzy J would, uh, DJ at this club, uh, every week. And he said, Rick Rubin would just come up to my booth and kind of just stand there and watch, <laughs> and watch you know, uh, from the time I got there until, you know, until I left. Uh, and then he introduced himself and uh, he said, I've got this song that I want to make. And it's uh, the artist's name is T. LaRock. It's yours. And makes they make the song It's Yours. And... Um, it was the first song Russell Simmons heard that he didn't have his hands on the first hip hop song that he was hearing that was on the radio currently mm -hmm. that he was not involved in. So, um, DJ Desi J he knew Russell Simmons mm. and then Russell Simmons came by that the club, uh, one night and, uh, Rick Rubin says, Hey, that's Russell Simmons over there. Can you introduce me? Hey, yo, Russell, uh, this is Rick Rubin. Uh, <laughs> Rick, this is Russell Simmons. And that's, and that's how they met. So <laughs> that was it. It was Kinda that like simple. like Chris Brown and Rihanna. <laughs> right. Rick, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, um, oh, wait, what happened here? Okay. Okay. We're good. All right. So, um, uh, Def Jam recordings was it's it was started by Rick Rubin, but then Russell Simmons kind of came along a little later. But uh, Def Jam recording, uh, Def Jam recordings or Def Jam records was founded in Rick Rubin's dorm room at NYU. I believe it was at NYU. Yeah. Um. And uh, he formed another. Um, a punk band called Hose, uh, H-O-S-E. <laughs> and that was the first recording on Def Jam. Yeah. So it was a punk band. And he um, also toured with other uh, punk bands, hardcore bands, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And they broke up when Rick Rubin turned his attention toward hip hop. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, they uh, produced... Uh, he produced It's Yours uh, for Tila Rock with Jazzy J. And um, he needed Russell Simmons' help to get Def Jam off the ground. And um, and the first record they made after Russell Simmons came along was LL Cool J's I Need a Beat. Another uh, drum machine, very little other instrumentation <laughs> kind of song. But still, it was that uh, it was a sound that would kind of define hip hop in the 80s to where, you know, it was just about percussion using drum machines. Yeah. 
Um, the 808 was was the drum machine at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. TS-808. So using that and and kind of relying heavily on that, um, they did make a reference like later in the decade that Marley Marl using a, a sampler uh, to put in percussion um, kind of changed everything because they were like, well, yeah, in hindsight, just using the stock sounds on the drum machine was kind of <laughs> lame. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, he, he founded, um, they founded, he founded Def Jam in a dorm room and, uh, he would go into produce more acts and he had the Beastie Boys. He kind of like put their sound together, uh, to where there are like after the success of Run DMC's Walk This Way, yeah. which was Rick Rubin's idea, uh, and which he's there, they were going to sample the song. Yeah. He's like, you know, you guys should like just cover, cover the song yeah because it is it is <laughs> and, kind of a rap song like it, yeah. it's i mean i know it's old when did it walk this way come out that was the original yeah uh, in I the it was 70s like, i know it was like mid 70s yeah let's see here so yeah the original 75 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah um and even back then of course they call it hard rock but i mean like the way in which he sung the lyrics was in a it, kind it, of a rap fashion yeah very quick delivery and at the at the time, Run and DMC resisted the idea pretty much the whole way. <laughs> uh, Rick, it was Rick Rubin. It's like you guys should do it. And Jam Master Jay was like, "Yeah, that might. I think that's a good idea." And uh, while they said they went back and forth, uh, uh, Run and, and DMC are saying they're telling Russell like, "We're not doing this song. This is this is a bad idea." This is going to ruin my career. They went back and forth for a couple of weeks. They come to the studio one day. Uh, Aerosmith is in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, this is going to happen. And, um, and Jam actually, he's like scratching. He's putting, you know, different touches on it. They do the song. And then even after they recorded the song, Still they're happy. like, this isn't going to be a single. And then it became a single. <laughs> and it was huge. So... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so kind of Rick Rubin kind of put his um, putting rap and rock together kind of started with him. Yeah. And he was big just in general. He was he was big on genre bending. Yeah. That was one of the things he would really push his artists. And he well, And so, like, that's one thing that I, I like about him. All the things I've heard about him over the years, he pushes the artists that he works with. Um to not only just like be better, but to go outside of their comfort zone, i.e., you know, the story that you just told as far as how, you know, the whole walk this way came together. You know, he was it was something he believed in from the moment, you know, he the idea came up, he pushed it, he pushed it, he pushed it, you know, and, you know, and honestly, to the chagrin of the artist <laughs> who yeah. had to do it. Um, but it was like, you know, he had a vision and he wanted to see it through and it worked. Yeah. Like it really, really worked. Um, and, and that's just one of the, you know, the, you know, the thing that a guy who's had a, God, like a 40 year career almost as a producer, you know, um, a, uh, a discography that, you know, spans three, four different decades, you know, Rick Rubin's still working. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's still doing stuff. Um, and kind of 
like when we started recording, they realized like, okay, probably the stuff that I'm I'm interested in a lot is his stuff during the '80s, like kind of when he first started out. So that would be a lot of his hip hop stuff, uh, especially with with the Def Jam artists, mm-hmm. and then with Ben, mm. his interest would be in the later stuff <laughs> with the rock bands that that he that he worked with a lot while he still dabbles in he dabbles in hip-hop now yeah. he still dabbles in it and i think there are a lot of i feel like there are there are producers who don't know like about the impact he actually had on hip-hop yeah because uh, i think like he and russell simmons were equally the face of def jam mm-hmm. uh i mean outside of the artists themselves uh, another thing I found that was interesting is that his basically like with the Beastie Boys, like trying to figure out what to do with them. Basically, their persona came from his love for pro wrestling. The Beastie Boys. Yeah. Really? Okay. Basically, like, like how, like fight for your right. How that sounds? No, I mean that it sounds, sounds like, like wrestling match. Somebody's injury song <laughs> coming into the ring. Coming to the ring. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it sounds just like that. I can hear the pyro. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, basically, that's, and that, that's kind of how he came up. That's how he came up with that song, his love for pro wrestling. It's like, well, and, and then um, also realizing that, yeah, they're making <laughs> these songs like for the streets and black people are going to like them, but there are also white people who like these songs too. Yeah. So, uh, that if we can make something relatable for them in a way, then that will even help. That would even grow our audience even more. Yeah. So, um, as I said, with, with, uh, so many artists, they're like, say like the most diverse producer ever. Yeah. Like really ever. Okay. <clears throat> We're talking about you know, Run DMC, LL Cool J, the Beastie Boys, but also Tom Petty, yeah, Johnny Cash, Kanye, Lady Gaga, Jay Z, <laughs> Lincoln Park, yeah, Audio Slave, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Red Hot Chili Peppers, ZZ Top, ACDC, Justin Timberlake, Slipknot, Lana Del Rey, Shakira, Ed Sheeran, Adele, Eminem, Frank Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because, like, so one of the stories that um, I read a few years ago and I, I want to bring up, the Subliminal Verses, Volume 3 the Subliminal Verses, which could be is considered really the breakout album for Slipknot. came out May 25th of 2004 um, and has their most famous songs, Duality, Vermillion, uh, Before I Forget, was produced by Rick Rubin. Prob- I think is their most successful album to date. And Corey Taylor, the lead singer, said it was an awful it was an awful experience like he said he was never there there. yeah Yeah. he said you know rick rubin was barely ever showed to the studio we were being charged horrendous amounts of money and for me if you're going to produce something you're there um i don't care who you are said he's overrated overpaid i will never work with him again um conversely though the guitarist jim root said in the same interview a lot of guys in the band say rick was unavailable and yeah he takes up a lot of projects at one time but he does he also does things that are beneficial he would listen to what we'd done, have us retract things that needed work. He's kind of like a big brother up the hill. Even though he wasn't physically there every day, he was. That's my favorite record we've done. And, I mean, like, this is their biggest... I'm looking here to see if this is their biggest record. I'm fairly certain this is their biggest record. And I don't think it's... um, I don't think it's a uh, coincidence <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, 
that it received, um, you know, great reviews. All music gave it, um, you know, it was praised. They praised it for its dedication to making it a Slipknot album. Like it's a really good album. Um, they re- they got a Grammy award for it. Like you know, it's so it, to me, you know, you've, you at this point, Slipknot had been around for some years. It's not a surprise that this is the album, you know, <laughs> out of all their albums that receives the most praise. And it's a really good album if you've never heard it and you like metal. It's one of those albums that like is very relatable. It's it's you know I believe it was on the Watch Mojo list of albums for fans who aren't metal who like aren't metal fans like it's one that everyone can kind of relate to so I just thought that was funny like you know on one hand Corey Taylor hates it <laughs> the lead singer hates the whole process the rest of the band is like eh, actually he kind of pushed us to make a good album which is what he does case in point you know here's another instance of where you know a band is he he pushed um, Lincoln Park. I forget how many songs they said they wrote from minutes to midnight. Um, all of, you know, Rick Rubin saying, nah, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. Did the same thing, I believe, with Stadium Arcadium for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not good enough, not good enough. He pushes you. And, you know, especially when, when you're a band. So, I mean, you know, Run DMC at this point weren't, you know, superstars. But for some of these bands, Linkin Park had just signed the largest record contract for a rock band in years. You know, they're probably they're, well, three albums in at this point, probably not pushing themselves as hard. You have somebody like him come in and, and he pushes you, you know, because he, he's got and, a name. And, you know, like um, not knowing a whole lot about the process of Minutes to Midnight, but mm-hmm. it was probably more of let's if if it if it if to him, if it sounds anything like hybrid theory. Oh, God, <laughs> it's got to go. <laughs> hybrid theory or, me- or, Meteora, or Meteora. It's got to go. Got to go gotta go <laughs> so he's pushing the bands to sound uh at least a little bit different yeah uh at least to show some kind of progression in their sound i think he did that for red Hot chili peppers he did that mm-hmm. for slipknot um to some of their great success like i think stadium arcadium was nominated for grammy for album of the year mm-hmm. and this was after californication which yeah. i thought was their most uh, was their biggest mainstream that success. That was a, and a good album, too. Not yeah. just mainstream, but a good album, yeah. Uh, so uh, I can understand the reputation. Like, hey, if you're going to come in and produce, like with the years with Def, the early years with Def Jam, it's like, let's, we're, he's trying to push artists to do something that's going to stand out. Yeah because hip hop is still fairly new at the time and people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Walk This Way leads to Run DMC being the first rap artist on the cover of Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. And it kind of brings Aerosmith back from the dead, the dead pretty much. To <laughs> Almost quite literally too, if you think about it, because yeah. they were doing a lot of drugs. And um, of cocaine. I think that was this before or after they broke up because of the drugs. <laughs> I don't know. Like I they were, like, I feel like there was a band that broke up several times before yeah, they had different <laughs> members. Go look into that too. If you're an Aerosmith fan and you don't know about like their past, um, a lot of crazy things. And so like, yeah, basically this infused and made them popular again. And I believe after that, they had a run of albums and singles that did very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess like, the thing that like as far as like the the diversity with him um just to 
Like he, there, I guess there was no one really to like stop him. Like no. with a lot of producers, they're working with a, just a uh, a genre, one genre. Yeah. For the most part, maybe they venture outside a couple of times. Like um, we talked about Max Martin. Yeah. Who I still believe does not know any rappers. <laughs> so if that's the case, then. <laughs> Um, Taylor Swift loves Future because Future yeah, was on it. He had a verse. That was her idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I think with Rick Rubin, he knows pretty much all of them or or, well, the the big ones at the at the time, like yeah. through the first maybe 20, 25 years. Well, he's just got. Hip-hop. But I yeah. can only imagine he's got a huge brain from like pop music for popular music. And wait a minute. Oh, and I say that, that there was no one to stop him. There was no one to like discourage him from working with a certain artist. Yeah. I mean, he's already the guy in charge. Yeah. And he's already, <laughs> you know, he's already, uh, he has the resume, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. LL Cool J and Beastie Boys and Run DMC, but also, you know, the cult and yeah. Aerosmith and Slayer. So, yeah. Okay. So that's, that was one thing I wanted to, to mention. So rain and, um, rain and blood. I'm, I'm pulling up that album now. Um, one of the seminal metal records. Um, I mean, some might say, uh, you know, like, so yeah, it says along anthrax is among the living peace cells, Megadeth's peace cells, who's mine, which is good. And Metallica's master of puppets, rain and blood helped define the sound of the emerging U S thrash metal scene in the mid 1980s and has remained influential since this guy produced a thrash metal record. Uh, just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> not just like a hair metal record, not a mainstream, a thrash metal record. Like Slayer is a, is, is a very influential heavy metal band and he's done several of their records. Yeah. And, and the next day probably walked into the studio and did, you know, a Beastie Boys album. <laughs> and then, you know, a few weeks, like a couple of years later, a Tom Petty record or, you know, it's just like, I mean, he's, you know, I, it's and it's just for something like that. I mean, like it's it, you're doing more than just helping set up mics and mixing at that point. Yeah, you know because you can you can hear his sound. Like for instance, um, and I, I, not to skip around here, but if you think about Ninety Nine Problems, that just sounds like a Rick Rubin beat. Yeah, it just it, sounds the, like it. Heavy, heavy drums. Yeah, um, and the, then that's and that's the the focal point is the percussion. Yeah, the Everything else is secondary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had but, a, he had a little a guitar riff in there too, which yeah. I felt like was kind of his thing as well. But it was it was samples from something. Was well, it? well, the the drums were sampled from, uh, and he's probably used this more than once on Ninety Nine Problems and on Berserk. Mm-hmm. He samples Billy Squire. Oh yeah, big beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the use of the use of big. Big sounding drums, which may have influenced Ryan Tedder in some way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever meet him, I will ask him that. <laughs> but um, to use that, still using, I mean, it was it's still a hip hop beat. Like, yeah. But it's it's uh, it's one to where, yeah, like you said, you you know who made that. Yeah. <laughs> you know who put like that Like it was, and it was one that um, he had not made, he hadn't done hip hop in a while at that point. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like one of those, yeah, I still got it kind of moments. <laughs> you make a beat like that. You still got it. So like, it's just, and that's what's so fascinating about somebody like a Rick Rubin, like, and, and, and then like what, almost 
so what 80 this came out in 86 you know uh god how many years later he did death magnetic death magnetic why can't i talk right now um and basically kind of you know kind of like he helped breathe life into aerosmith he helped breathe life into metallica because up to that point metallica really had you know in the 90s people thought that they lost their edge you know i like those albums but people who were really into metallica thought they lost their edge they tried to get it back with saint anger and i think they just yeah, it just made it that kind of made it worse yeah it made it worse cuz <laughs> like people were like no we don't want you to suck like because like they did things like oh man we did not i guess to, and to explain some of the things that they did on that album they didn't retrack things so like you heard mistakes cuz they were like we're trying to make a more raw album and, and and it's just like people are like no that's not what we meant like you can correct your mistakes and then for some reason I think you said you read this too people hated Lars's snare on that on that album yeah like, they yeah. really hated that snare <laughs> when I heard it I was like well I I knew it made them sound distinctly different yeah sound like and, a bell like a like a yeah like it's a very ringy snare uh it didn't bother me but it bothered america it bothered america yes. like they hated it <laughs> and so on the follow-up to that was death magnetic magnetic why can't i talk um which was kind of like a return to their roots and so it was almost like 30 years almost you know 20 something years later he goes in and he helps basically bring back you know a, a band that you know had kind of quote unquote lost their way um with another th- with a thrash album showing that once again i can still do that too if i want to <laughs> so um that that's just kind of what gets it like he just has he has a feel for all sorts of different types of music no matter what uh so i know not related to rig room but to metallica i think i may have mentioned this before someone remixed either uh, Kill 'em all or master of puppets with the Saint Anger drums. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, and it sounds like a totally different band, totally different. I, like it. Oof. It's a. It's kind of scary. I might check that out. <laughs> um, there's also been remixes of their albums with. After Cliff Burton died, when they got Jason Newstead um, on those albums, they turned his, like Lars, who's kind of a, a D-bag, turned his bass down in the mix. And so there's a lot of mixes where they just, they got the stems and turned the bass up. And you realize, huh, Jason Newstead was actually a really good bass player. <laughs> Not as good as Cliff Burton, but he was a really good bass player. But apparently they just treated him like crap. I'm like, that kind of sucks. Only because he wasn't Cliff Burton. Yeah. That's why they treated him like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if I were Cliff Burton, wouldn't that be a little creepy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little. Yeah, a little. Bit. I got to get Patrick. I got to get because I. I would like to. I would like to hear some of his thoughts on Metallica because I know, like their their true fans stuck with them, you know, through everything. Um, but yeah, he brought them back with Saint a- with um Death Magnetic, and that was such a good album. Um. You know, my favorite track being on on there being Broken Beat and Scarred, um, which is just like a brutal assault. Like it's just like from start to finish, it does not stop. Um, And I can imagine that probably came from because I think it's probably one of the better riffs that James Hetfield has written 
in the last 30, in the last 20 years, probably in their whole career. And I know that came from Rick Rubin saying, you can do better. You can do better. Like, just because that's what he was, you know, like apparently, um, so at the beginning of bleed it out on minutes to midnight where Mike Shinoda says, here we go for the hundredth time. It's because he had rewritten and rewritten <laughs> and rewritten and rewritten their lyrics to bleed it out until the band and the producer for a group were satisfied. Like he had, so literally he was just like, well, here we go for the hundred time. <laughs> um, and that's what he does. It's, it's crazy. So not only does he have this encyclopedic knowledge of music and how to produce the music, he's just endured, you know? So some of the other producers we've covered have not endured. Yeah. He's I mean, endured. This is, this is the total opposite of Stock Aiken and Waterman. Yeah. <laughs> and of, of The Matrix or... And The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, or uh, do you think Max Martin has matured or progressed in any kind of way musically? I think he has in the sense that or has he's... he just been helped by technology? I don't want to say he's been helped by technology because he's been right too many times. Right as in he's had so many hit songs. So I think he chooses the right people to work with. And um, and I think that he just keeps his ear. And I don't want to say to the ground because he said in interviews he doesn't listen. To, he doesn't listen to the radio. So I think he's just one of those people that he's gotten so big that he helps set trends. Wow. So he should be my kind of producer, but he's not. Yeah, because he does not listen to popular music. He he just doesn't. Um and I think he likes it that way. So I think he helps at this point. He's helping to set trends because he's just he's just I think he's just that creative, honestly. Um, in this case, with Rick Rubin, uh, he's pushing he's pushing artists to do something else. Yeah. Like um, you said, like with if with Minutes to Midnight, if it's kind of like hybrid theory or Meteora, we, we're going to, yeah. you know, we need to change it. Um, I think, and honestly, I think when I listen to that record, I think he was pushing them to be a little more like a U2 style band. And I think he wanted to have them make their Joshua tree. And I think also that um, maybe he saw a trend that was dying mm -hmm. as far as new metal goes. Oh, I'm sure he was. I'm sure he it's did like, see that. <laughs> you can't sustain this forever. People yeah. are going to get tired of it because it's going to continue to sound the same. Um, and then, you know, you can look, just look at other new metal, uh, artists, mm -hmm. uh, to where, how many albums were they able to successfully make? How long was their actual run? Um, another thing that interests me is I didn't know he was behind this until recently. The, like Johnny Cash's career mm -hmm. in the nineties until his passing. Yeah. Um, you know, we played a couple of Johnny Cash songs in our pre-show. Uh, if you like, if you watch the Facebook Live, you'll you'll hear those songs. But um, doing uh, uh, the man comes around. I know I've listened to that a lot. He convinced uh, Cash to do a cover of Nine Inch Nails "Hurt," which is, which is probably haunting. his most popular recording. Yeah, uh, of like younger fans like us. Yeah. His it was most popular recording is that, is that cover of hurt. Um, and which I think he yeah. produced the original. 
I think he, he yeah, I think he produced the original. <laughs> Let me look that up real quick. No, um, no, it was just Trent Reznor. It was just Trent. Okay, yeah. I got, I thought he produced it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's why you did it. You you're, you're looking for those. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, he did a lot in Johnny Cash's late career. So like, I think of the song "God's Gonna Cut You Down." Yeah, which was in um, it was a lot of truck like a Chevy commercial or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I heard it, and then I realized it was actually a song. Once again, big drums <laughs> in that song. Um, but yeah, he did he did a lot of of that stuff. I didn't know he did a lot of his '90s stuff, but I knew he did a lot of his older, you yeah. know, right before his death. Um, and I mean, like that recording of of Hurt was haunting. Yeah. Um, the video I think helped as well, but like that was it was just a very haunting song. The way in which he did it, it's already a haunting song. If you've ever heard the original by um, Nine Inch Nails and, um, you know, having somebody like a Johnny Cash, who might be a good subject um, down the road with his such a unique voice, you know, like that's that yeah. makes for that makes for a, a, a very memorable. And, you know, you probably got to think someone like a Rick Rubin gets that. It, like it seemed like only he would get it because Johnny Cash has that voice on his on his later recordings working with Rick Rubin has that voice to where you think the song may have been um, recorded in the 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he has those kind of vocals of like the blues artists who like the early records of like a uh, Robert Johnson or um, Sun House or mm-hmm. you know somebody like that. Uh, he has those kind of vocals and then to bring it with, you know, current technology yeah, and kind of still have that feel for it. That's someone who just knows music. Someone who is, I don't know if he's a genius or a savant, <laughs> but it's just someone who understands. Um, another album, uh, well, another artist that, uh, or band that he worked with that, um, I don't know. It, it's kind of like uh, a two Americas thing to where, you know, one person thinks this way and then another person thinks this way, but mm-hmm. it's about the same, the same subject yeah. <laughs> um, is uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. So like, he did three of their records, right? He did. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. And I'm honestly one well, of them. Uh, he at least three. He may have done like four or five. Yeah, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Uh, he did that one. He did Californication. He did By the Way. He did Stadium Arcadium. Oof. Yeah. So Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, of course. That so that has Give It Away, Suck My Kiss, which apparently was not always Suck My Kiss. Um, oh, clearly, <laughs> clearly that was not the title. Just reading the yeah. oh, that wasn't that wasn't the title. So, but yeah, you know, kind of you know pushes. A rock, and I'm not terribly familiar with what they were before that. Like I've, I've well, they you were, know, higher ground on Mother's Milk. Um, well, they were um, with before Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I think it was the first. Um, I'm gonna pull it back up because they they were they sounded a certain kind of way, and then. Uh, Um, let's see. Was he's on Mother's Milk? This like because then Hillel Slovak died. Yeah, and they got John Fushanti. 
Um, and then they, and then Jack Irons, their original drummer, uh, left the band. So, uh, Mother's Milk was the first one yeah. with, uh, Frashanti and Chad Smith. Mm. And then after that was, um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic with, uh, with Rick Rubin. Mm. So basically they had to, if Hillel Stovak had such an influence on what their sound actually was, yeah. I think in this case with that album, Rick Rubin had to kind of like, uh, bring it all together. Like yeah. as far as like, we need to incorporate these new, the new guys. And also we need to take this sound to kind of a, uh, another level here. Um, so, uh, when they, like, like they went, they had to find us a producer of course, and they, they went out and got, they went, had to get Rick Rubin, uh, because of their, um, as just someone who they thought could, that stood out to them that yeah. could, that could work with them. He had turned them down before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was because of, um, Anthony Kiedis and Hello Slovak's drug issues. Mm. Um, he turned them down like it looks like this was like five years before, four years before. As somebody who has recorded with somebody who was a heavy drinker in an old band I was in, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he would be drunk. Like we would do a day of recording. It was a lead guitar player, and he would be drunk by the time. And so by the time it was time for him to record his parts, he could barely play. So I can imagine, like, yeah, you, you don't want to deal with that. <laughs> you just don't want to deal with that. So, um, uh, they, they liked, they liked him because well, with their previous producers, they felt confident to ask him for help, Yeah, (laughs) which is, which is strange to where like, you don't feel like, I feel like with some artists, maybe they don't ask the producer for help because, Oh, I I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they just don't like the, they don't have good ideas or they might not, you know. Maybe they're just a glorified, you know, because I, I mean, certain producers are better, have good ears. They'll come up with what the radio mix should be, things like that. And like it says here, he helped them arrange drum beats, melodies, lyrics. So he's actually, he's, you know, since he is a true musician, he's probably in there like, you know, hey, instead of doing this here, bring the bridge in earlier or, you know, add this to this riff or add this to, you know, add these lyrics in there. I imagine working with him is probably like working with the... um probably all not all that similar dissimilar to working with someone like a butch um butch walker like who's a musician's musician really good writer you know rick rubin really creative guy really you know he probably just can give you he probably has just good ideas after good ideas and then he'll push you yeah um and uh i guess he he also kinds of thinks of ideas i guess that would help like he with this album, they recorded it in a, in a Harry Houdini's mansion, which is, <laughs> he thought dope. it might help with their, you know, get the creative juices flowing. It looks like with their magic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Ta-da. <laughs> I would love to record it. Imagine that'd be fun. And so he thinks he's thinking outside of the box. Yeah. Um, a little bit and, and kind of just made, uh, this is to me. This is the like 
with the previous Red Hot Chili Peppers albums, you kind of hear what they're going for. Mm-hmm. But I think like it all came together with this album. Yeah. And, you know, there's Rick Rubin to thank for that. Yeah. Um, also, his, uh, like I said, like so, such a diverse, diverse, this diverse discography. Um, you know, he, throughout the 90s, he produced, uh, he produced Mick Jagger's solo album. <laughs> he produced <laughs> Tom Petty and ACDC. Donovan had an album in the 90s, strangely. Uh, of course, Death Magnetic, which you mentioned. Shakira. Yeah. He said Hips Don't Lie. <laughs> like that's... He produced Hips Don't Lie. Yeah. Um, Clips. Lil John. Um, and then he, he made, you know, 99 Problems, of course. He used another Billy Squire sample for Eminem's song Berserk. Even though the way he he presented the beat to Eminem and then Eminem did some other things to it. Mm. So we're like, uh, it's not really what I was going for. <laughs> for <that. laughs> um, but they still put out the song, how Eminem produced it, what he did with it after he got his hands on it. But to, um, what do you think like helps him? Uh, like, is it, is there anything more than just having that, um, he's kind of like a, uh, just being a, uh, a musical savant or just being a kind of a little of a, of his, of an historian. Um, what do you think helps him be so diverse to where he can work across so many different genres? Let's well, so there was a list I'd found and the list was 10 things we learned about Rick Rubin. And so, and this is kind of one of those things that, you know, as much as he does push, it says three, sometimes as a producer, you need to, you just need not get in the way of the band. And they said, this is particularly true of his work with Slayer. Um, I think sometimes it's, he kind of goes in and he goes like, you're the experts. I'm here for guidance. I'm here to, you know, to give you a good sound. Um, I have an expertise and if you need it, we can use it. And then just challenge him, you know, and I think maybe that's what it is. He kind of goes into it with an open, more of an open mind, maybe, which, you know, a few of the records that we've read about that he worked on, he went into them with open minds. And I think that can really help you, especially like, you know, to be a jack of all trades, just don't get in their way. (laughs) Like, especially if they know what they're doing and some people will know what they're doing. Uh, Also wanted to ask, uh, like the criticism that he's received mainly from artists that mm-hmm. he's worked with. Uh, there's a, a quote here from Muse when they accepted an award, uh, Matt Bellamy said, uh, well, he thanked a number of people for teaching them how to produce. And he said, and we'd like to thank Rick Rubin for teaching us not how to produce. <laughs> Matthew Bellamy is a, is a, is a little uh, full of himself. I'm just, just to be honest. I like, I like Muse. I like Muse. I don't think he did an album with Muse, though, did he? Um, no. If he did, it'd be their best album. No offense to <laughs> no offense to Muse. No offense to Muse. Um, that's weird. He said that. That's kind of uh, that's really presumptuous. I mean, maybe that you know just things he's heard about Rick Rubin, but I guarantee you, if he worked, if they worked with Rick Rubin, um, 
it would, I imagine it'd be their best album they've ever done. And that's saying a lot because Muse has released a lot of good albums. Um, I think their quality of, of record has gone down a little bit as of late. Um, I'm trying to think their last record that I liked, um, was the one with Knights of, well, no, no, it's the one with, um, resistance on it. I think they've released two albums since, and they just haven't been very good. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's because, and this goes back to genius unchecked, wouldn't be surprised if Matthew Bellamy is producing <laughs> them. Um, this is funny. Mutt Lang produced their most recent album in 2015 along with muse. And before that one, so that was drones in 2015. Um, and then prior to that, they had the second law, which I really did not like. That was when I don't, did you come with us to see muse? No. Is that what they were at the final four? Yeah. They were the final four. That one had madness, which Mm. was the, um, the, uh, that was the song for, um, the final four actually. Which made me wonder if they wrote it for that. Like if they told them going to the studio, like you have this gig, we just need a song. We need a single. We need a hit. Um, but their last good album, in my opinion, was the resistance in 2009. Um, surprisingly that they produced uprising resistance. There's some good songs on there. Um, but I guarantee you if they worked with Rick Rubin, hold on, it says they did hire him, but I'll scrap the recordings and fade. Okay. So they did hire him. That's funny. I didn't know that. It says Muse hired Rick Rubin, who had worked with artists, including Metallica and Jay-Z to produce the album, but scrapped the recordings in favor of producing the album themselves. Um, that's where the, it came from. Sarcastically, thank Rubin for teaching us not how to produce. I really want to know what happened there. Um, I bet you those recordings I, were so good. He, he get, he gave them some idea. You said they were bringing in Jay-Z and who else? Well, no, they're just saying they're citing that Rick Rubin had worked with them. Um, they brought him in to produce it, but scrapped the recordings in favor of producing the album themselves. Yeah. He gave them some ideas to push him as he was normally doing and they didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder, I really wonder. That, That's I, funny. That has to be it. That, that makes me think of, um, and that, just, was, that was a total, that's a total lack of trust. Yeah. So I think, um, th- I think that's another key part for him. He has to gain the trust of these artists to where this is going to work, mm-hmm. uh, but trust me, it's going to work. I know it's out of your comfort zone, uh, but this can work. So uh, that's yeah. funny because that would have been after black holes and revelations that had super massive black hole, and Knights of Sidonia, which was one of their bigger songs, and Starlight. So a Rick Rubin album could have put them on, like a Rick Rubin produced album that was huge, could have made them huge, could have made them bigger than they are now, I think. And so, I mean, I know, and I know they're big, you know, they do world tours, um, arenas and all that stuff, but I think they could have been so much bigger. It, it almost makes me think of, um, although they work with him forever, but when Dave Matthews went in to do an album with Steve Lillywhite, and scrap the whole thing, but recordings still got out of those sessions. Yeah, so it makes me wonder of those of those sessions. Yeah, the Lillywhite <laughs> sessions. Um, I had it in high school, so it makes me wonder: Are there Rick Rubin recordings out there from this album? Um, and I, I just imagine they sound good. I guarantee the drums are huge. The guitars are probably huge. Ah, I can only imagine how good that is. Um, and one thing you said that, like, as far as his. Uh, one of the things that he does is have artist genre bend. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Run DMC. 
uh, doing Walk This Way, Johnny Cash doing Hurt, and he did Personal Jesus. Yeah. Depeche Mode cover. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and ZZ Top covered a song called 25 Lighters by DJ DMD. Uh, I had not heard that song, but for uh, if he's a, an EDM DJ, <laughs> then ZZ Top covers the song, you know. Um, and also, like, he's been criticized mostly by artists who don't... Um, if they're pushed out of their comfort zone or if it seems like he's not there because he's working with so many people, we've named there are like 50 other artists that he's also worked with that we <laughs> haven't even mentioned. Uh, but Natalie Maines of the Dixie chicks uh, says he has the ability and the patience to let music be discovered, not manufactured. Come to think of it. Maybe he is a guru and uh, they contested that as uh, he helped them win uh, album of the year for taking the long way and also best country album and record of the year for not ready to make nice, which, which was their post, yeah. <laughs> their post nine 11 shunning uh, yeah. album. Um, man, what if that album, like what if like what the kind of criticisms they had were made today? So Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood kind of did that. <laughs> Um, but it was more of a tongue in cheek, you know, like, of course, when the Dixie Chicks did it in, in the UK, it was angry. They was like, they, you know, we're ashamed to say that the president is from our home state is what they said. Um, and Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley was more of a kind of tongue in cheek thing. So people were like, oh, maybe that's why it was received a little bit better. But I wonder, you know, like if it was if they were, you know, angry. I don't know. I, mm. More that I think about it, I think it might fall on deaf ears like I didn't know about Carrie Underwood and Brad Paisley but yeah I think it would have to be in the case of this president we need uh, musicians from New York to turn on <laughs> to turn on president and maybe that'll turn into something but I just mean Rick Rubin produced Taking the Long Way by the Dixie Chicks mm -hmm. okay so he likes he's all over the place yeah um, he also won producer of the year uh, that year? No, yeah, it, it won. Yeah, yeah he won. He yeah, won record of the year, year song of the year, and best country performance. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's uh. Uh. Also, Dr. Dre said that he is hands down the dopest producer ever that anyone would ever want to be ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of high praise from you know the Chronic just turned twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Happy birthday, the Chronic. If you're out there. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> kind of weird to say it that way. Um, but yeah, uh, and um, he was also the, as far as his like executive career, uh, he was named the co-head of Columbia Records, and that's where he produced Lincoln Park's Minutes to Midnight, and he also co-produced A Thousand Sons and Living Things with them. Um, when he won producer of the year in 2007, he had produced for the Dixie Chicks, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Michael Kranz, U2, Green Day, Johnny Cash. And then when he won it in 2009, he had worked with Metallica, Neil Diamond, <laughs> Hours, Jacob Dylan, and Weezer. And then hmm. he won a Grammy for album of the year for being a producer on Adele's 21. Nice. So... 
he is uh he's a he's is he is he a producer's producer or a musician's producer i don't know so i'm i, fa- I have an, another article here um about how he gets them how he gets the best out of his artists um so one of the things apparently is meditation is one of the things he talks about when people meditate they pay attention in a particular way on purpose in the present and um, non-judgmentally uh let me see here many people don't listen ruben told me if you listen carefully people explain to you what it is they need ruben gets artists to open up about their deeper motives i'll spend time with an artist and listen very carefully to what they tell me and get them to talk about their true goals their highest and highest goals he said We'll go back and forth to the heart of why they started doing what they do in the first place, which is probably why he gets people to go back to their roots and make really good music. Um, based on his conversations with each artist, Ruben figures out how to support their strengths and downplay their weaknesses, which is how he can work with such a wide spectrum of artists. For example, he encourages some artists to write while they're driving because that the attention they devote to driving pre- prevents them from second guessing themselves. It's really creative, actually. For one artist who was struggling with lyrics, he invented a game with magnetic poetry to help them access, um, to help him assess his intuition about what the songs meant to him. Sometimes just changing the context of the work. For example, by recording in a house, like you talked about the, um, Harry Houdini's matching, rather than a studio as the Red Hot Chili Peppers did while recording Blood Sugar Sex Magic helps breaks, helps break artists out of their automatic habits and allows something new to happen. Sometimes he's, and he says, sometimes it's about making it more comfortable. The distraction of less comfort can bring about a really good idea. He said, um, so he really kind of goes, you know, he, he takes them out of the comfort zones in some points, at some cases, mental exercises. Um, he, so, I mean, so yeah, it's just, he's got, he's creative. He's just, you know, and he, and who knows if a lot of producers do that. You know, it, some producers probably just come in and help with the song arrangement and things like that. Whereas he's, you know, let's think of a different way to get, you know, to get this sound or to do this or to do that. So. All right. So. Um, I have nothing else to add, really. <laughs> All I can say um, is go listen to some Rick Rubin produced tracks. Um, go to his Wikipedia page and start from there. Um, just look at like with different Wikipedia pages with, with music, with, uh, musicians or bands, you see like, you know, where they're from and when they started and then you see the associated acts. This is one of the longest associated yeah. acts list I have seen. I mean, it's, it's, you know, he's got, and it's the, and it's like clearly the most diverse, you know, 1980, I mean, he start back in the 1980s. You know, and just go forward. Um, he's he's got something every decade, and it's not just like he has not had a down decade. I know some people give the criticism nowadays that he's a part of the movement. Um, I think it's called the Loud Assault or something like that. So the basi- loudness wars, yeah, the loudness wars, um, which you know some people are saying is just a uh, people are just trying to make music louder and louder and louder and and more compression. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I I don't know. Um, On that, I'm not a huge expert when it comes to mixing and mastering. I'm more so listening to what he does. So on the technical side, maybe it is too compressed. I don't know. I'm thinking more of what it is he inspires the musicians and the artists to do. 
and that's still consistent. He he did make he did help Metallica make their best record in the past decade and a half. You know, he made he made he helped uh, Lincoln Park make you know one of my favorite albums that they've ever done. He helped uh, he helped uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers remain relevant. You know, with Stadium Arcadium, like who would have thought that you know from Blood Sugar Sex, Ma- Sex Magic to By the Way to Californication, damn, they don't, it can't get better. And then you get this, <laughs> you get stadium Arcadium. And not only was it a good record, it would, it continued their string of hits with Dandy California. And the thing is like, I don't know if this was his best year because for like this 2007, mm-hmm. taking the long way, one bad album of the year. He also was a producer on future sex, love sounds nominated for album of the year and stadium Arcadium. Yeah. Three albums nominated for album of the year he had his hands on. And three distinctly different albums <laughs> he had his hands on. So it's like, how can you... You can't... Uh... Look, look, if you want to be like... If you're trying to be like Rick Rubin now, it, it might be too late. Uh, but, you, you know, you have to listen to... You know, like when you ask someone what kind of music do you listen to or mm-hmm. someone just volunteers to say oh I listen to different kinds of music Yeah, but it'll be like the same thing <laughs> like oh uh, yeah I listen to rock and alternative and metal uh, so you listen to rock <laughs> <laughs> um, so you listen to rock so yeah this guy li- literally listens to everything yeah I would and I would probably say I guess just I guess as we close out some of my favorite albums like I said you know, Greg and I here on, on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, I'm more into the rock stuff that he's done, not discounting the rap he's done. Cause I do like his hip hop stuff, but like, um, you know, he did all the audio slave records, all two of them. Why well, I say all of them, <laughs> he did both of those. Um, I believe he also did renegades of funk, um, the cover of renegades of funk. So that's one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite covers really ever is that he's was by Rage guy, Machine. He's the only guy who has been okay with rappers covering yeah. a song. Most people would not <laughs> like that. Um, the subliminal, subliminal verses by uh, volume three, the subliminal verses by Slipknot. I would suggest checking that out. Um, I would also say, yeah, check out um, the, the um, I'm, I'm, I'm take the long way by the yeah. Dixie chicks. Good Apollo on Burning by Coheed and Cambria is really good. Minutes to Midnight, um, Death Magnetic. Um, I would say check those out. Those are really good albums. He did one track on Paradise by Lana Del Rey. I'm not a huge fan of that song, but just check that album out anyway because it's really good. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean those are you know just some of the later things he did. All of the all of the stuff he did for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I would say check out. Um, I remember as as Under the Bridge started playing, it's just like, damn, he did that too. It's like, it's it's just so varied. I mean, I guess what is, what are some of your favorites? Uh, Red Eye Chili Pepper stuff um, from Blood Sugar Sex Magic on. Um, stuff he did, he's done with Eminem. Uh, stuff he's done with Kanye. He, he was on Life of Pablo and Jesus. Even the, the the story of him getting Jesus was funny. 
uh, to where Kanye just showed up at his house with a CD. Yeah, it's done. And then he, and I'm like, I gotta go to Paris. <laughs> so it has no cover because that's how the CD was produ- was presented to Rick Rubin. It was just like that. <laughs> um, yeah, Audio Slate, the Shakira, um, Justin Timberlake, the U2, um, Limp Biscuit. He was on Results May Vary. Uh, Jay Z's The Black Album. Uh, how could I forget that one? <laughs> and and uh, Magna Carta Holy Grail, in yeah. which he is uh, famously sitting on a couch with his shoes off while uh, <laughs> Jay-Z is working with Timbaland and Pharrell and Swiss Beats. <laughs> um, Johnny Cash stuff uh, is, I think, like, Johnny Cash had a resurgence of popularity before he passed. And I, I think yeah. Rick Rubin is is definitely a part of that. So, I mean, there's so much to choose from. I forgot one other record too, and I can't believe I forgot this record because this was. I think this was a landmark record, "Toxicity" by System oh, yeah. of a Down. That that that's the one that had Chop Suey on it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Chop Suey. I think took people by surprise. Yeah. Um, which, if you li- if you were familiar with them, that was just par for the course. Like, if you were familiar oh, with and <laughs> the seminal album of our freshman sophomore year of college crunk juice <laughs> he's a produ- he produced crunk juice guys yeah. <laughs> so um there's there's just so much like um he had he has his hands on a, on a lot of a lot of great music out there all right so um I'll do it for our discussion on Rick Rubin. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, also, Rick, well, probably like later, we'll, I, I will want to do an episode about Crush Groove. Oh, I'm down, yeah. In which Rick Rubin plays himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll get to my Irum of the Week. This is a song that I heard maybe a couple of days ago, and um, I really like it. Uh, it's by a, a band called Glass Animals. Oh, I love Glass Animals. And this is one that actually came out like three years ago. It's called Gooey. Oh, okay, I'm not familiar with that one. I like I like Glass Animals. Yeah, they're good. Man. Um, yeah, I just I like the production of it. It's like stripped down, and like these guys are probably like really. Um, I think the I feel like the the lead singer is probably like very strange person. <laughs> <laughs> I believe they're. I want to think they're Swedish. They're from Europe. I know that much. Check out where they're from. And he he sings in like kind of a high voice. Yeah, it's a falsetto. <laughs> uh, they are from England. England. Okay, I knew they're from. I knew they're from Europe. But they have. Um, I think if you like, uh, if you like like Fantagram, mm-hmm. um, or uh, who else do I know in here? Mike Snow. Yeah, I think I like Mike Snow. Like, yeah, uh, Glass Animals. So this song is called Gooey. It's actually. I didn't know until I like clicked on their profile. It's their most popular song on Spotify. Oh, nice. Okay. So, am I turning pop? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> so this is. I really think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you get queued up here. So oh, this please. is. Oh, sorry. I had the uh, fix with live oh. also <laughs> going on. All right. So this is Gooey by uh, Glass Animals, and we will be right back.
Zaba, Z-A-B-A. Yeah, the song I'm familiar with, um, I think it was a Earworm. It was a Youth. That's my. That's probably my favorite song by them. Okay. Um, there's another one too that I know they did a cover of Kanye's "Love Lockdown." Oh, did they? Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Okay, but yeah, I love some Glass Animals. Good stuff. All right, so that will bring us to the end of our program, and uh, Ben. Can you tell the people where we can be found? Yes. So if you're watching this, you found us on Facebook. So yes, um, that's half the battle right there. So <laughs> G I D. So if you're oh god, I was watching Honest Trailers, and um, they were showing the Power Rangers. They were making fun of Power Rangers, and they were showing them teleporting on a planet. And I was like, the more you know. <laughs> so that just made me laugh. Um, but yeah, so if you're watching us on Facebook and you haven't subscribed or liked us, please like us on Facebook. That would mean the world to us. Um, you can find us at, so that's, if you're not on Facebook and you're just listening, facebook.com slash by the time you hear this, um, go there, check us out, subscribe or like, it's like, like. it's not subscribe yet. Like us. And, uh, whenever we re- record, we do our best to do a Facebook live. So you'll, you get to see us. So that's awesome. Get to put a face with the voice. Um, you can check us out at by the time you hear this.com, leave us a message, drop us a line on there. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and then you can also find us on the gram or I was watching before I came over here. Don't ask why, um, bring it on something like that came out in 2017. Yeah. And everyone on there 
had an I had an Instagram, but they they kept referring to it as IG. No one actually said Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it just said IG. <laughs> so, and we turned it off after like maybe five minutes because we all realized we were too old to understand anything they were talking about. Mm. <laughs> they spoke in hashtags. Like, it was really weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> so find us on IG, or if you're not old enough, or you're too old to know what that means, Instagram. At by the time you hear this, um, spelled with the letter U because we're upstanding. Yes, we are. Um, you can also email us at that same spelling at gmail.com. The website and our Facebook page are spelled with the word U Y O U. Um, so, you know, go find us there. We'd, we'd love to, you know, get the stats up. Um, <laughs> as far as listening to us on your mobile, you can find us on the Apple podcast player, iTunes. You can find us on Google music. You can find us on, um, what's about, oh yeah, Podomatic. You can find us on CastBox, Overcast Radio. Um, no, no, I'm Satchel Podcast Player, Overcast. Yes. Tune in radio. Yes. I, that was a portmanteau. Um, I forget, there's a lot of places. Auto Radio. Auto Radio. I said CastBox, Satchel Podcast, Tune in radio. Podomatic. Yeah, th- those are the places. So come and find us. Or really any of those uh, podcast aggregate, you know, uh, things you can find us. So, you All know, right. plenty of ways to listen to us. So please listen. All right. Uh, well, that'll bring us to the end here. And uh, well, I know we, we decided to end it with a Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Yeah. And so what song? Um, you know what? Because I used to cover this with the band Other Side. Other Side. Yeah. All right. I love that song. So other side from Californication, we're going to end the show with that. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Sleeping